You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on promoting Black unity worldwide through conversations that help us understand ourselves and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I am your host, Monique Russell. Today in my guest chair, I have the amazing Dr. Kunle Ianda, a management consultant with over two decades of experience in corporate strategy, leadership and people development, emerging technology and innovation, and organizational culture. He is the founder of Brute Consulting, managing partner of the Design Thinkers Group, Nigeria, where he currently resides. And what I love about Dr. Iyanda is he is a firm proponent and advocate that diversity and inclusion are essential and robust tools for innovation and generating ideas. I cannot wait to get into this conversation today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kunle Iyanda. Good evening, Monique. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I do hope uh, it's going to be an exciting time this evening. Fantastic. So I always like to start off asking my guests a question about where they would want to be and why. And the reason I do that is because most of my guests are, are well-traveled the same way that you are. So if you could choose anywhere in the world that you would want to be right now at this time, where would you choose and why? Oh, thank you so much. That's, that's an interesting question. Um, I've been privileged to travel virtually all the continents uh, in the world, and pretty much I believe I've seen it all, uh, both the developed and the, the developing or the less developed country. And um, just about three days ago, I was talking to some colleagues, and I just looked at everything, and um, the colleagues is in diaspora, and I said, you know what? If I have to come again, or if I have the privilege to live anywhere else, as far as I'm concerned, I still want to live in Africa, uh, regardless of all the challenges, you know, that you have. But if there is any place I've been to all over the world, and the closest probably is going to be Asia, that I've been to where you have a very strong sense of togetherness, very strong family, you know, uh, strong family orientation, where sometimes you can believe that people have your back, where you can see humanity, you know, uh, actually in display, regardless of the fact that Africa have a lot of challenges. But you still see people come together, you still see people smile, you see suicide rate being very, very low, and all sorts of things. And I say what makes us to be a bit resilient that when you look at the, uh, the myriads of problems that you have, you know, in Africa, 
And you still see the way people come together. And you still see how people put smile, you know, on their faces. And how they care for one another. Where the culture of individualism is almost at low hair. For me, I don't think I want to be anywhere else. And you know what? The sweetest part of it is that we all started from Africa. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know what? I love that answer so much. I can't tell you. And I think it's actually a great connection to the next conversation that I want to get started. But I can see how the family connectedness, the togetherness, coming together is something that would attract you. I remember, I think we've met almost a year and a half maybe ago, initially first on LinkedIn. And I'll tell you, when I came to Nigeria and I had a chance to meet you with your family, oh my goodness, I can definitely see what a big family man you are and the impact that you play in your family. And it, it would definitely make sense that you would want to go to Asia where that connection is. So I want to jump right now to the fact that, you know, you are over the Design Thinkers Academy. You've been in this space for a long period of time. And, you know, this whole aspect of togetherness focuses on human-centered design. It requires a lot of empathy, a lot of understanding of yourself, understanding of others. So I want to ask you, what are some common barriers that you see individuals face when they want to take a human-centered approach to connecting with other people? Not just other people in general, because this is the Bridge to You podcast, so also other Black people, Black cultures. A very interesting question you asked, uh, Monique. Uh, let me just give you a bit of a background. We just concluded I mean, a few months ago, maybe about two months ago, a study that we tied to Stronger Together. And uh, we tied to Stronger Together because you see what's uh, the havoc that uh, COVID has you know, uh, rendered you know, in the world, where it's like everything is just standstill. And if you remember, you discovered that at the outbreak of COVID, the news flash is people are buying, you know, rushing to the grocery, buying up everything and all of that. And uh, one of the moving uh, YouTube uh, story that I watched is a woman who happened to be a nurse in UK and shouting that you guys bought everything in the grocery store. But you know what? When you are sick, nobody will take care of you. We have to take care of you and if we are not healthy, and if you don't have food to eat, then we cannot take care of you. What did that tell you at the, at the outbreak of, uh, of COVID? One of the things that you can see in this place, that's individuality. You know, we want to be, I want to protect myself. I don't care about what happened, you know, to others. And I had a, uh, a chat with a colleague of mine in which I say, you know what? The way of the future is actually human-centered in which we put people at the center of any solution, you know, that we have. And so we did a survey where we had about 500, you know, respondents and from about 14 countries. So we had about 500 respondents. And we tried to see the impact that COVID had on them. Of course, people talk about money, lots of businesses and all of that. But the most critical for everyone is that human connection in which people say, you know what, I miss my family, I miss, you know, my colleagues, you know, at a place of work, 
I miss uh, those I fellowship with in the church. And one of the one of the uh, respondents actually said, he said, I have been in pursuit of money, power, position, and everything. But with this COVID, I discovered that those things really don't matter, really. That what makes us human is our being, you know, together. And I tend to bring that, you know, to, to us as black folks and say, can I really, you know, go out anywhere without being labeled? Can I go anywhere without being afraid of what is coming, you know, behind me? And I ask, you know, I have a daughter who's just 18 years old, and I ask her uh, sometimes ago, I said, can you just picture in your mind, if we all understand one another, what kind of world will it be? If we walk in each other's shoes, what kind of world will it be? And she paused for about a minute and said, hmm. She said, Daddy, I think it's going to be like paradise. I said, why did you say that? He said, because if I understand you and you understand me, we are not going to quarrel. If I respect you and I walk in your shoe, there will not be all this issue of uh, pulling down, you know, string drum kind of a thing. Will not be among us. The issue of trying to violate one another's right, you know, will not be there. Now, when we talk about human-centered design, you know that design in design thinking, empathy play a significant part of it. In the uh, Design Thinkers Academy, we always talk about discover, divine, develop, deliver. The discover part of that is there is need for us to discover one another and respect each other's interest and come up with a solution that if, if my solution respects your view and take care of your pain point, then that solution is going to sell. But if I look at things just from you know, my own angle alone, then you discover that we are, we'll continue to have a highly divided you know, uh, uh, system, even among us as black folks. Today, it's not difficult for us to say, you know, he's Caribbean or he's African and he's black American, I mean, black American and all of that. Even though, except you talk about it and except you actually speak, if I look at you from this first, I mean, for the first time, I don't really know where you come from. If you take any African from anywhere in the world and that Africa did not say anything, and you look at that Africa, you, you, you will find it difficult to say, you know what, you are from Nigeria, or you are from Ghana, or you are from, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, or anywhere. So I believe that each of us needs to begin to think differently. And design thinking actually help us to do that, to say, you know what, put that person at the center of whatever you are thinking. And if I protect your interests, and you protect my interests, we are going to have a very solid society where love and peace reign supreme. But by the time we look at ourselves and we look at things from our perspective alone, that's why you have the issue of conflict. And once you have conflict, we have to think about how best can we resolve it. For some people, the best way to resolve it is to go to war. For some other people, they say, okay, let's go, you know, run the table and I mean, all sorts of things. So I believe that when we put one another, when we walk in each other's shoes, we understand each other better, we become a united force and we become unstoppable. Thank you. 
Wow. I mean, look, guys, I told you that Dr. Ianda was the real deal. Okay. Like this response is <laughs> already lighting fire within me. And what I love about what you said was the Stronger Together survey that you captured from you know, 14 different countries. The, the focus was the human-centered. The money didn't matter. All of the titles, the status, everything else didn't matter, but it was the connection, that deep, deep connection. Another thing that I absolutely love, which you demonstrate with your family, was when you talked about your daughter. And, you know, you asked her, hey, you know, can you imagine, can you imagine what the world would be like if we were to walk in each other's shoes? I read that article that you also had on LinkedIn with that title about walking in another person's shoes. And I think this is a great uh, transition for me to kind of find out. You seem, you seem so aware. You seem so aware, which stereotypically for a male, for a Nigerian or African male, we don't see this as something that is so common, something so widely useful or or accepted, I would say. So you seem to do this acceptance of other people so openly, not just in your work, but as you shared about at home. How was your view, who and what, I, I should say this, who helped to shape your view of acceptance and empathy uh, towards Black people worldwide I want, to, I want to know about this mindset that you have. How was this shaped and what was the impact? Thank you so much. I think the way that was uh, shaped in me, it, I can trace that to my father probably, a typical Nigerian, but he's a Nigerian who color doesn't matter to my father and gender doesn't mean anything to him. Uh, let me just tell you a joke uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, I have a daughter who is 22, and I was telling her, and uh, I, mean, I have three daughters, by the way. So I was telling them, I said, you know what? If your husband don't, if somebody want to date you, and that person doesn't know how to cook or do any of the house chores, I said, don't date that person. <laughs> I said, <laughs> and, my, and my daughters just laughed. I said, oh, daddy. I said, yes. I said, because these are, li there are little, little things that bring problems in marriage. So you have the husband who just want to read newspaper. You go out in the morning to work. Your husband doesn't know how to do anything in the kitchen, doesn't know how to do any house chores. Before you know it, you become like a slave. And I said, if his mother did not train him to know how to take care of those things, you are not the mother, so don't date him. Wow. So, so my daughter posted on the status and said, my father just came up with a new theory that if the guy that wants to date you cannot do anything in the house, cannot cook, don't date him. You are not his mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, of course, sometimes we have mothers who want to spoil their sons and as a result of that, the son cannot just do anything. So, and when you talk about, you talk about diversity, you talk about inclusions, you talk about the issue of stereotypes, we talk about the issue of unconscious bias. If I grew up in a family where, especially in Africa, where you think that the boy, I mean, if you are a boy, you are like a, you are like a prince or you are like a, a king. You really don't have to do anything in the house. 
when that boy marries, he's going to look down on every female that she come, I mean, that he comes across. Because he just thinks that a female is only good in the kitchen and to do some other stuff. And growing up, I never ever saw my father actually making my mother to feel like she is female. And incidentally, I have five sisters, so I happen to be the only son. So, uh, in spite of the fact that I happen to be the only son, I was not spoiled by African standards. I can do everything that anybody can do at home that you're supposed to do, typically. And I grew up in a family where it doesn't matter where you come from, you are all accepted. You are all welcome. So that actually, you know, helped me to shape how I think. But beyond that, I consider to be very interesting. It gets me to read so wide. So I read autobiography. I get to know about how they think and what have you. And as a result of that, it enabled me to overcome some of the stereotypical issues that confront people uh, from time to time. Okay, so that was just so fantastic, Dr. Yonda. I mean, your dad, your dad had such an influence on how you see the world and how you view the world. And then when you talked about reading biographies of people and learning about others, it's almost like you, you just grew up and you were immersed in this whole embodying of discovering more about other people. And I find this one also so in interesting about challenging the culture because in Nigeria, if you are a male child, you do have the, the rights and the, and the status. There's also something I remember when we connected for the very first time. I remember uh, we had our meeting set up and I, I think it was like three o'clock and it was a, a few minutes or not too long before three. And I got a call from you and you said, I'm on my way. I'm in traffic. And I said, wow, I, I just thought that you would be on African time. And you said, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't do African time. And I was so curious to see that, you know, for someone who was living in the culture, raised in the culture, grew up in the culture to be operating sort of this out of the box um, way of being this disruption of cultural norms, but now I understand where it kind of started from. So my question to you next would be around just imagining, imagining for that person who may not have had the type of exposure or experience. Let's say they, they have gone through the process of believing that, you know what, focusing only on self-interest first or learning just about their own self-preservation and not really understanding other cultures. But now they've reached a point where they're curious, just a little bit. Where would you advise that person to start? Just a small baby step in terms of understanding other cultures. Uh, thank you so much. I think, I think that's pretty uh, simple. Uh, you really don't have to leave the comfort of, of your home to go and study what is happening you know, up there if you don't have to. But I think uh, uh, the, the advance, you know, uh, advancement in technology has made life very easier for us. That if I want to know how somebody from Peru, what is their culture, I mean, like this 
uh, afternoon. I've read a lot of things about Mexico, but I was watching a movie on Mexico. And you know that sometimes uh, some of the movie, they have a way of just, uh, just trying to just, you know, man manipulate some ideals. And what I have to do was actually to go on the internet and say, let me read about this culture. So, and I want to believe that one of the things we could do is before you form opinion on anyone, try to read about them. And even when you read, you also have to be very careful. I always tell people, stop over generalization. Mm. Stop over generalization. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Tell me more. What I mean by that, take for instance, let me use Nigeria, you know, for instance, you have a lot of Nigerians in the US, you know, in different style of the society. Then you also have some Nigeria who are involved in uh, advanced fee fraud, internet scam and all of that. So if I happier to you as a Nigerian, and that has happened to me, you know, severally, the first thing that some people just look at is, hmm, maybe it's a fraudster. Where, or if you see a Muslim, for instance, you know, our unconscious bias may make us to think that, oh, an average Muslim is probably a terrorist or an average Muslim is very violent. These are unconscious bias. That is overgeneralization because when you look, there is evil in the world. There's no doubt about that. But those who perpetrate evil, they are insignificant numbers because I've been privileged to travel around the world. And one thing I've seen, I've seen humanity at its best. And because I've seen humanity at its best, I refrain from overgeneralizing to say, you know what? If you are a Caribbean, this is how, how every Caribbean behave. If you are an African, this is how every African behave. Or if I see you as a Caucasian, and I quickly come and say, you know what? Every Caucasian is a racist. That is overgeneralization. And we need to, we, if we want to have a better society, I believe that one of the things we have to deal with is to deal with the issue of overgeneralization to take people for who they are. That's why we say you take time to discover them. In the design thinking process, you spend so much time trying to discover the problem. And if we can just apply that also as we relate to one another, to say, you know what? I want to know more about you. Tell me more about you. I don't care about what I read in the newspaper. I don't care what I want in the, uh, on the television screen. I just want to know you. And trying to know one another is what makes us to be human. And not those things that we see on the screens or those things that we read in the newspaper or those things we had on the, uh, uh, on the radio. What makes us human is when we are able to connect with one another and try to understand one another. Rather than living, you know, with the unconscious bias, you know, that is already there, which is informed by some of our background, you know, sometimes. So I believe that the best way, actually, to show that we are human is to understand one another. And for you to understand one another, you talk to them. And if you cannot talk to them, you want to know more about us, you want to know about me, read up about me. Google has given us that advantage. Yes. Different search engines have given you that advantage. If I want to know about you now, there are so many things I can read up about you that will give me an informed decision. But one thing that I've also discovered is that being highly educated does not mean you are highly informed. 
Wow. Can you say that again? Being highly educated does not mean you are highly informed. I have, I have seen a lot of educated illiterates because you may have a PhD, but you don't even know what happened. Uh, maybe at the net zip code, you don't even know. You don't know what happened in Africa. You don't know what happened in Australia. But you are brought up in a way that you already have a mindset. And one of the things that education will actually help us to do is to confront our mindset. If you are able to use education to transform the way you think, then you become a better person. I love that. I love that so much because, I mean, we all have biases within ourselves. And even, even the most well-intentioned person who is open to connecting, we still have those biases just based on, like you said, maybe where, how we were raised or what we were exposed to. But now, instead of just using that knowledge and that education just for consumption, use it to challenge your mindset. That's a very powerful, powerful nugget. I remember even for myself, you know, me having Nigerian her heritage and remembering and hearing the whole fraudster thing as well, you know, the negative view about Nigerians. And you'll hear a lot of Nigerians say the same thing about themselves. It, it, no one has a... Uh, any hesitation to point out what's not working and what's not going well. But oftentimes the things that bring out positivity or joy are not always promoted um, in terms of how you said you've seen the best of humanity. So I want to, I want to dig a little bit more into that. When you said you've seen the best of humanity, what do you mean? Can you go a little bit deeper? Because I think that's going to also help us to connect the dots around our exposure and changing our mindset. Thank you so much. Uh, when I say I've seen the best of humanity, I've seen situations whereby I was given help by someone who doesn't know me. We are not connected in any way, you know. And it could even be a simple description of, oh, how do I get to this place? And somebody take his time and pause and say, you know what? I described to you, this is how you get there. Then all of a sudden, he paused again and said, you know what? It takes 10 minutes. Can I walk you down the road? Can I take you there? You know, going the extra mile. I've seen people that have to leave their comfort zone and go the extra mile to be of help to another human being, to somebody who is a total stranger. That's humanity at its best. I'm working on a he book, and one of the questions that I ask in that book is, what makes us to be truly human? What makes us? Is it the self-centeredness, or is it just, or is it things that have to do with just me, my family, and all of that? Is that what makes us just trying to live in abundance for myself and myself alone? Is that what makes us human? I don't believe that that's what makes us human. I also don't believe that the evil that we perpetrate around ourselves is what makes us human. What makes us human, that makes us to be truly human, can be seen from little kids. Because you discover that little kids, they don't discriminate. They don't keep animosity. They love to share. They love to... They don't wear, they don't wear long faces. So... If you want to know who you are as a human being, all you need to do is just study the little kids. Wow. 
<laughs> when you study the little kids, then that tells you who you are truly and truly. And I believe that I've never seen any evil kid of two-year-old, of three-year-old, or four-year-old. But as we grow up in life, societies try to shape us and mold us to be who we eventually turn out to be, which could be good or evil. That is powerful. So I like that because if you embrace that childlike curiosity and learning of yourself and study those children, you'll be able to see the things that light them up and connect and attach to that as a human. It's the human to human connection. Now, but a lot of us are already adults and we've already had those biases and those beliefs shaped and formed. So like I was talking about, you know, me even having those views of the fraudster until I went in motion and actually, you know, challenged that belief, challenged those viewpoints and actually sought it out for myself to validate it. And even having the whole bias about you being on African time and, and having that experience where that belief was challenged, you know? So my question is, how do you actively assess your own bias personally? Oh, wow. That's, that's, um, that's, that's an, interesting, uh, an interesting question. I think the best way to actually deal with our biases is to be conscious, to make a conscious effort. Like you said, you begin to change your mindset about some of your biases because you decide to find out yourself. In the course of your interacting with others, you begin to say, oh, no, I'm not sure that is correct. That's not even correct. You begin to see things from another perspective. But you know the reason why that worked for you? It worked for you because you have open mind. The mind that wants to embrace uh, uh, the truth. The, the mind that wants to find out what is the real deal. Okay, now, but there are other people that it's like the heart is already seared and nothing can go in there. And if you have people with rigid mindset, people with rigid mindset, there is nothing you say, they are already consumed by their rigidity. And I also, and I also say that, you know, when you are too rigid, you don't make too much progress in life, whichever way anybody looked at it. But those who make progress in life that make progress and feel fulfilled and reach their potentials are people who are flexible, people who have learned to adapt. So if you want to deal with your unconscious bias, you must be conscious of those biases. And it could start from, you know, your family. How do you relate with the female folks in your family? How do you relate with the young ones in your family? How do you relate with those who are much older, the age, you know, in your family. What do you think about the age in your family? The fact that I'm 80 years old, does that mean that an average person who is 80 years old doesn't have a sound way of thinking? Or does it mean that because I'm 80 years old means that I'm rigid in my way of thinking? These are things we need to, you know, we need to be conscious of. And like I said, the best way to be conscious of them is to try to be open. Uh, in design thinking, we always say that defy the judgment, suspend the bias. 
Okay, so as you relate with people, defy the judgment. Number one lesson, defy the judgment. Defy the judgment about others people's view. Defy the judgment about people's ideas. Okay, and we also say suspend your bias. When you are able to do that, then you connect better with human beings. But if you are too judgmental, you cannot connect well you know, with others and you cannot understand them. And if you do not understand them, then you won't be able to relate well, you know, with them and be at peace, you know, with them. Wow. Was there ever a time where I want to move this to Black culture, Black culture, and Black people worldwide? Was there ever a time where you had a belief or a bias towards another Black group that maybe you later on realize, hmm, that's really not accurate. Maybe I have to look at this in a new way. Can you share an example of when you had a biased view and how you, how you approached it or challenged it? Hmm. If I need to be very honest with that, I can't really think of Hedy, personally. I've, I've not been able to think of Hedy and I've been privileged, you know, to meet with different kind of people because when I travel or I meet with you for the first time, for me, I want to discover who you are. I don't, I've never ever based my judgment on what I read, you know, in the news. I've never done that. As I relate with people, I've never had cause to, when you talk about other black people, I've never had cause to, to be judgmental, really. And like I said, maybe one of the things that helped me is the fact that growing up as a little kid, one of the things that my father did was to just let me read, you know, about people's culture, how they think, you know, and all of that. You know, I come from uh, a background where, in, even in Africa, within Nigeria, and I come from the southern, I mean, the southwestern part of Nigeria. But you know, even though we speak the same language, which we call Yoruba, but within that ethnic group, there are still divisions. Yes. As a matter of fact, we tell you that don't marry from this type of people. So when you look at it, when you take it on a large scale, if you look at an African person and say, you know, he's Ghanaian, don't talk to him. You know, Ghanaian behave this way. Oh, this one is from Caribbean. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, it's Black American and Black American, you know, we have our biases about them and you believe, you know, any of that. So... Where does that leave me? That means that if I'm a Nigerian, I only look for a Nigerian, right? Okay, but in that same setting of Nigerians, you will now see different ethnic group, right? So within that ethnic group, we also form another group, you know, so you see the division, subdivision? Yes. Within that ethnic group also, when you look at that ethnic group very well, you now discover, you begin to say, okay, well, you know, I don't have anything to do with that family. And on the long run, by the time you take the microscope and you look at it again, you see that you also find that you also find that problem within your own immediate family. So that tells us that there is no perfection anywhere. There is no human being that is totally horrible and hopeless, and there is no human being that is uh, accurately perfect and, uh, and holy and flawless. Okay. And if you want to define uh, how human beings relate, you are not going to do that based on where they come from. 
but you have to treat them as individual. And if you're able to treat them as an individual, I believe that will be fine. So for me as an individual, I've never, never had cause to discriminate against anyone, whether black, brown, red, or yellow. I just take you by me for who they are. This is so fabulous because, because you had this exposure, because you had this immersion early on, it shaped your worldview and it shaped the way you approach and interact with others. And, and I like that the, the example you used was the division within the ethnic tribe, within the actual group within the Yoruba, because I feel like that's also another conversation to explore, even amongst different African countries. We have different views of division, like you gave the example, maybe in Ghana or maybe in another African country. So when it comes to those types of dialogues and viewpoints, one thing I I know that for myself that I do is actively look and learn about the various cultures. There's a guy I follow on YouTube who is just absolutely amazing in showcasing the the various viewpoints of the other African countries. And because of his showcasing of this, people are now curious. They're now interested to go and look at the the other places. So um, before we wrap up, my, my question to you is, when you think about the division within the Black tribe, within the community, what was your experience in stepping out of the box around those views? Uh, I believe that uh, the major problem you have with uh, uh, Africans in terms of the division and what have you uh, is what I would call strong presence of scarcity mentality. We don't have an abundance mentality. So we look at everything to be not always enough. So, and when you have that kind of mentality, you only think about yourself. But when you have an abundance mentality, like you look at, you look to the sky, like you see that sometimes you see birds flying in their thousands. And yet they don't touch each other, which means that the sky is big enough to actually accommodate all the birds, you know, that you have in the world. And that is why I look at things when it comes to how we relate that, number one, we need to remove unhealthy unnecessary rivalry. And except you come together, if you look at what is happening in Asia, you know, the Chinese, the Japanese, and all of that, they, 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 they are building a highly cohesive society in which they value each other. Okay. But when it comes to Africa, sometimes we are just unnecessarily divided. And like they say, if you are divided, you cannot stand strong. Okay, so the more divided we are, the weaker we become. And until we begin to look at each other and say, you know what? We are first and foremost African. Let's forget about whether you are Black American, whether you are Caribbeans, whether you are African African, or whatever you call yourself, you are first and foremost African. So when I see an African, do I see in that person a brother or a sister? First and foremost. That is your approach. That's my That's how you've, how you've uh, addressed with the tribal conflict. Exactly. Religion. So when, when I look at this person, I say number one is human. Is because we have to recognize that we are first human before we begin to say, okay, is 
white, is black, is yellow, is purple, and all of that. So also when we see ourselves as black, I say, you know what? We are first and foremost black. Okay. So what do we need to do? How do I see you as my brother and genuinely see you as my brother and genuinely see you as my sister? Then when you see it, when we see each other in that from that perspective, then we can work together. We can we can we can help one another. But the way it is now is that sometimes we are so divided that we believe that most things about Africa is evil or bad, and everything on Africans are good and perfect. Okay. So we need, we need, to, we need to come together to see ourselves as being good, as being you know, up to the task, as being able to deliver as, me, as someone who means, I mean, that as a tribe we mean well for one another, you know, that we appreciate each other. All right. Uh, sometimes you will say that even when you have an African store, some people who are black would rather go and patronize other, you know, and I'm not trying to be, to be discriminatory here, but I'm saying that if you look at what is happening in the, in the black community, there is need for the black community to come together regardless of their location to do something that the black race can be very proud of. And that's just my own point. And we can only do that when we are together. We cannot do it divided. That is a perfect connection to what this show is all about. We do understand that there is division worldwide. Everybody recognizes that. But this show is really about highlighting our stories, your story, your approach, your mindset, the way you engage. And what is it that within this whole sea of division, how is it that these people, such as yourself, are able to build connections and build bridges? It's through these stories and these examples and these personal lives that we now form an understanding of how to connect with each other worldwide. I just want to say thank you so much for being on this show today, Dr. Ianda. You have Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. You've given us so much to take down and discover. I just want to recap a bit of what you said. First and foremost, making sure that you discover more about each other. Intentionally imagine yourself in another shoes. When you gave that example with your daughter about what, world, what the world would be like if we were to put ourselves in each other's shoes, you gave us a great action item and a step to be intentional about imagining what that would look like, what that would feel like. You also talked about making sure that you look at other people's perspective. And, and in looking at other people's perspective, research, read, learn about the biographies, challenge your own assumptions when it comes to the unconscious bias. Be aware, try to understand where those beliefs are coming from. But what I really, really, really love the most is how you connected the dots to where it all begins, with, which is within yourself and within your family. If you don't know where to start and you don't know how to begin to challenge the beliefs that you have, look within. Start to examine your beliefs about gender, about race, about income status, about education. Start there. And then by doing that, you'll now begin to build this muscle and awareness of challenging your beliefs in other areas. Everyone, once again, I want to thank you for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. I'm your host, 
Monique Russell, make sure that you let us know how this episode impacted you. Let us know through a review. You can follow us on uh, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, on my website, clearcommunicationsolutions.com, or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. And until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit clearcommunicationsolutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.